0: Welcome to the ninth episode of the Thereafter podcast. Cortland Coffee, your host here, along with Josh Anemeyer. This, this is, is number nine. nine. Number nine. We're almost to double digits, Josh. Holy. Wow. wow. It's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> I honestly didn't think it would go this long. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is still chugging along. And we have a ton of interviews we're doing this month. I know. I've just been like sending Josh... Uh, interview scheduling. I'm like, fit it in. Um, yeah. So we have so many cool interviews coming up. But uh, on this episode, uh, we are featuring Mason Meninga. Did you do it right that time? Yeah, Meninga. Yep. I think it's better the faster
1: you say it. The faster you say it, just Mason Meninga. Meninga. All right.
0: So <laughs> Mason Meninga. Um, was an incredible guest we had an awesome conversation and uh you know i kind of wanted to at the top of the episode because i know we'll do a post episode wrap up and where we talk and talk and talk and half the people you stop listening but before you stop listening before we have the guest i want to say i set up a new thing on our instagram and if you go to our instagram and you click on the link there is a thing where you can leave a voicemail for us and I would love to hear people's stories, you know, uh, feedback, you know, prank phone calls. Um, there was originally <laughs> a link in our show notes uh, that gets generated by Anchor, but Anchor makes you, which is our, our host for the podcast, they make you like create an account. So you have to like put in your email and password and it's kind of like... I just don't like that. So this, you don't even have to put in your name. You can be anonymous uh, or you can put in your name. You can put in your email. And if you do, then we can reply back and we can let you know when we're going to use that clip or if we're going to use that clip in an episode. But I would love to get some feedback. We, I did that Instagram post about Christian School Science curriculum. Which, like, no shade, I know you work in Christian school. (laughs) uh, A very different kind of Christian school. But I was like, man, my coworker brought in her senior 12th grade biology textbook. Wow. (laughs) And there was a whole, like, chapter on biblical literalism. And I was like, what is this? Like, not that any of that's bad. It's just not biology. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's, anyway, that's an, that's an issue. But we had a ton of feedback on that post from people. Uh, I love to hear everyone's story, so I would love to hear. Uh, that was actually story. pretty fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, it, I thought that was fun.
0: It was cool. I and 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 that's what we're doing this for is to give people a space to share their story too. And you know, there's a lot of people that we can't you know feature on a whole episode. But I would love if we can collect enough stories um, and enough questions like to feature, you know, listeners on upcoming episodes or even do like whole episodes of just listener feedback. Um, uh, we'd like to, you know, highlight, you know, people's stories who don't necessarily have a huge Twitter following or Instagram following or anything. They just, they just have something important to say. So go to our Instagram, click there. Um, as always, like, subscribe follow. Awesome. And, uh,
1: Cortland, how, how, uh, have you been getting out of the house these days? Because, uh, you're looking, you're looking rather scraggly. (laughs) I don't think you've shaven in like uh, a couple of weeks. (laughs) It's been,
0: it's been almost two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like the longer it gets, the more defined the patches get. It's like I have this little patch here and then a big I a blank space. space and I'll write your name. This little patch here. Anyway, it's no. like
1: it's almost like you were thinking about shaving last Wednesday and then you saw what was going on in the world and was like, oh, fuck it.
0: Yeah, I started <laughs> in a few places and then I uh, just let it grow. No, I've, I've got to shave. I was going to shave yesterday and then. I had today off and was like, Well, what's the point? So <laughs> I'm wearing sweatpants, didn't shave. Only the best for my wonderful co-host Josh. Yay. Gotta look my best for you. Well, let's Appreciate get let's it. get into the interview. Episode nine, Mason Menenga. Um I I fucked it up that time. <laughs> anyway. <Menenga.
1: laughs>
0: get into it. Wait, 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 wait. Welcome to another episode of the Thereafter podcast. Cortland, your host here, along with my co host, Josh Annemire. What's up? <laughs> we're here with our guest today, Mason Meninga. Perfect. It. Did you do it? Yes. I did. Nailed it. <laughs> All right, cool. I made a big deal out of it. So, uh, and uh, we're stoked to have Mason on the podcast today. Uh, I typically going into a podcast interview have like a shit ton of questions laid out and like things, but it like you are objectively, and this is not kissing your ass at the beginning of the episode. You're objectively far more academically smart than I am. Uh, and I'm just really (laughs) curious to just listen to you talk. Uh, so I don't have a ton of questions. Um, but, uh, Mason is a a podcaster, theologian, Twitter genius. Uh, I originally found you through Twitter. That was, that was your... Ooh. One of my one of my few things that I actually get on Twitter, I'm terrible at Twitter, uh, and so I rarely use it, but I get it on there. It really takes reading. like a
2: certain person. You must just not be depressed enough to Cortland. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that could be it. That could be it. You <laughs> should have got me, you know, like five, six years ago. I would have been a pro. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Mason, uh, why don't you, you know, kick things off by telling us just a little bit about, um, I don't know, your, yourself, your your Twitter profile <laughs> tell, yeah. tell tell us uh, uh what you do uh, you've got a couple podcasts going uh you're doing theology work um you're in the 20th grade 21st grade i don't even know at this point i mean i <laughs> I, I lost track after you know
2: i outran my fingers and so at that point i, I was just like i don't know i don't know where i'm at
0: but 20th so tell, sounds about right tell us the 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 short and dirty Who, who who's mason
2: yeah, so, uh, well, thank you for that great intro. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, I podcast, I have a podcast called, kind of my main podcast is, is called People's Theology. And I talk with different like church people and uh, theologians and lots of different kinds of people in kind of the Christian world. Uh, and we just talk about the work that they're up to. So, you know, if they wrote a book or if they're up to something great in the world. Um, but yeah, the kind of tagline of the podcast is, uh, exploring, inspiring, and liberating theologies. And so, yeah, I, I really care deeply about uh, theologies that uh, have, uh, can contribute to um, our personal lives, but also to the world and transforming it. Uh, and so, yeah, those are the sort of folks that I um, am, am interested in hearing from. And so, yeah, I podcast uh, with People's Theology, And then I also have another one called the Black Sheep Podcast, and it's in partnership with HM Magazine. And uh, uh, my best friend and I uh, have been doing that podcast for a little while, and we chat with different artists, mainly from the sort of uh, Christian music world, but um, also not Christian. I mean, we've interviewed bands like Guar. Just very much not a Christian band, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, we've interviewed like the Oh Hellos and lots of different folks from a variety of different kinds of genres, but uh, mainly within that sort of Christian music realm. So, like if you're familiar with Tooth and Nail Records and and Face Down Records and some of those bands, so I, I would say those are primarily the bands that we we chat with. But uh, but yeah, we we chat with lots of different kinds of other bands too.
0: Awesome. Dude, yeah, we'll have uh, to talk a little bit on this episode about uh, you know, hardcore music. Uh yeah. the episode that we released today was me talking to a couple guys who have a podcast uh called uh Podghost Punk. And uh mm. we I had them on and we just had a great uh conversation about just all the nostalgic love that we have for hardcore and emo and screamo and post hardcore. And it was, yeah, it was a blast. I love that.
2: Yeah. And the other thing I do, I work for United Theological Seminary in the Twin Cities. So that's where I'm located, I live in St. Paul. And, uh, yeah, I, talk with different people about uh, why they might be interested in seminary and why United would be a good fit for them. Uh, I did see that you had interviewed Micah Murray at one point. Uh, Micah is a student at United. So literally like 15 minutes ago, I was double checking to make sure that people are uh, in their spring classes where they're supposed to be. And Micah was in class. So if you're listening to this, Micah, good job being in class on time.
0: Good deal. We've got the inside, uh, you know, we get the inside (laughs) screen. Uh, yeah, we love Micah. Uh, it was such a fun conversation and uh, it was cool to kind of talk about, you know, his his experience at seminary because I don't have a lot of perspective on, and this is something that I would love to talk about on this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a lot of perspective on seminary outside of a very, very traditional conservative scope. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, a, a ton of my family went to uh, Baptist colleges. Uh, some of my family have, you know, gone to dallas theological seminary Ooh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the brand of seminary that i was familiar with there's others out there yeah 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 i met micah and then he was like oh yeah i'm going to seminary i'm reading it's like death of god theology and i was like "Ooh, that sounds fun that sounds <laughs> cool uh, a seminary i could get into
2: yeah and then what, what else did you say twitter too I, I mean i don't know what else i need to say about it i I got Twitter. It's actually kind of interesting. Like as much as my Twitter has morphed into, you know, people seem to want to talk about it sometimes uh, when they interview me. Um, it's funny because I, it's not like I got Twitter to stir up shit and to make jokes. That's not why I got it. I got it because when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I had this really like innovative teacher who was like, we're going to do assignments on social media. And so Twitter's going to be one of them. And because of that, the only social media that was, like, unblocked by our school's uh, website blockers was Twitter. Everything, you know, Facebook was blocked and everything. So everybody in my school got Twitter, and that's what we used. Because at one point, at one of my classes, we were supposed to use Twitter, and it just was unblocked. So I just started using Twitter a lot when I was uh, in, in high school and, you know, was really bad at it. But... Uh, yeah but that's how that's how it first started was i had this teacher that just was like and it was one of those classes where like you were gonna get an a as long as you participated uh and yeah it was really it was a weird kind of hippy dippy kind of class
0: it was fun. <laughs> I, I love awesome. that your origin story of twitter is is academic in nature it's yeah. just like it's fitting with with what i know about your persona uh, we have a we're at the school that i work at we have a class called
1: visual storytellers for the digital visual visual storytelling for the digital nomad
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's all about how to be a photographer online <laughs> man you like substitute a couple more words there and you've got like a classic evangelical <laughs> book for you know 2015 <laughs>
0: Yeah, whoa, that's that's something. Yeah, we were talking earlier uh, offline after the interview. You and Mason will have to catch up about video stuff. I was telling him you're a filmmaker and uh, a film pro, and you're always talking to me about something nerdy. I don't understand. Yeah, that's my that's my role. When when I talk to Josh about film, it makes me feel like other people talking to me about like programming or web development. I'm like, oh, this is what I sound like. I don't understand anything <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> or when Mason talks about theology. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. So, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, this podcast uh, to kind of give you a little bit of background on, on you know, what we're doing and, and, you know, why I was interested to talk to you is, you know, I started this out of a, you know, feeling like I wanted to... Per- Participate more in the conversation about theology and about, you know, Christianity and doctrine after I left Christianity. So, Uh, Whereas I feel like most of the, a lot of the people I talk to who are deconstructing uh, are kind of on this like kind of slow deconstruction towards either, you know, a more progressive or inclusive faith or maybe, you know, no faith at all, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. Uh, For me, it was like, I was like, I didn't really deconstruct first. I was like, I'm done with God. I'm an atheist. And then I was like, well, I should think about why. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of like slowly trying to kind of like think back through what I what I think about what I used to believe and what I believe now in a more critical way. Um and also I want to create space for, you know, community and for people to not feel alone in that because sometimes on the outsides of traditional evangelical Christianity, it, it you know, it's becoming less alone. <laughs> There's a huge movement of people that mm-hmm. are surrounding. Mm-hmm that community um but for me it definitely did feel very alone uh and like i had lost this huge chunk of my identity and there wasn't anywhere i could really participate in those conversations um and so i'm kind of curious about like what your perspective is on, you know, kind of the current, you know, maybe this is a loaded question to start with, but like the current landscape of, you know, progressive Christianity, exvangelical evangelical movement, uh, Mm -hmm. various other things that are happening, you know, kind of like adjacent to the American Christian church Uh, from your perspective, also from maybe a theological perspective or an academic perspective. um, Yeah. I'd love to just kind of hear your, your, your take or insight on that.
2: Yeah. The first thing that came into my mind is that I think there has at least in the last couple decades been a number of people who have been disenchanted enough with evangelicalism that they want some sort of way out. Um, I, I think a lot, uh, partly because I was really influenced by a lot of these folks, but I think a lot of the emergent church movement back in the early 2000s and late 90s was really kind of a start of this sort of Uh, paradigm of evangelicals leaving some version of evangelicalism that they had grown up with. And there were a lot of us who were really interested in uh, what church and Christianity and faith could look like in a sort of post-evangelical context, um, you know, after you had left evangelicalism. Uh, But there were a lot of us that were really interested in that. And I still am really interested in those sort of questions. And so anyway, I think, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that was a really predominant, um, uh, that was probably the predominant way of thinking about it is how can we explore Christianity and faith uh, uh, after evangelicalism. But I think a lot of that's changed. I think the the um, conservatism of evangelicalism has uh, intensified. Um The toxicity of it has intensified, and so I think a lot of people now are not uh, just—they're—they're no longer interested in even potentially Christianity. Um, You know, I I don't know uh, where you both are kind of within your faith, but you might be one of those people. Uh, You know, I might know Micah Murray is one of those people where they're just not interested at all of reconceiving what Christianity could look like after Evangelicalism. They're done with it. Uh, and that's totally fine. It's great, wonderful, uh, healthy response. Um, but I, I think part of the, the difference between a lot of the folks that we would uh, identify as even ex-evangelicals or ex-evangelicals or whatever, the way that they might differ than some of those sort of quote-unquote ex-evangelicals or ex-evangelicals from back 25 years ago during that emergent church movement. Is the current ones have really centered how trauma has been involved in their experience with evangelicalism. I think that to a certain extent that was true for a lot of the people who were involved in the emergent church movement, which is part of the reason why they wanted to, you know, leave evangelicalism and think about Christianity uh, on their own terms. However, I think a lot of this current movement of ex-evangelicalism, ex-evangelicals, there is so much trauma built within the, especially within the political component of evangelicalism that they want nothing to do with, certainly with Christianity and possibly religion altogether. Uh, And so I think that's like a significant difference that's happened. And I think a lot of that you can contribute to the ways in which Evangelicalism has even more conflated with conservatism and re- the Republican Party. Um, you know, obviously that was very true even 25 years ago. Um, but I, I would say the intensity uh, with which uh, it's conflated those two uh, has really contributed to people really experiencing real trauma that. Uh, ultimately they might deem Christianity not worthwhile and it's not even worthwhile to reconceive and reimagine what it could look like. Uh, And they might even just disregard and want to leave religion altogether. So I think that's kind of the differences and that's sort of how I see um, kind of the um, landscape of ex-evangelicalism and ex-evangelicals and those folks.
0: Yeah. Do you do you think that there is something as you were talking about? You know the role that that trauma or that toxicity you know has played in in the creation of this you know kind of community or you know uh, a group of people uh, identifying as post Christian uh, now. Do you think that part of it is due to the fact that you know with social media and with the ability for so many more people to tell their stories that there is a there is a more there's more prevalence of hearing about that toxicity in a really like i don't know it's just consistent on a really consistent basis um and so people to some extent internalize that
2: yeah and i think we started seeing that in that emergent movement um you know a lot of those folks were some of the first people to you know be involved with um uh with social media the you know really the really early forms of social media you know in forums and those sort of things um, blogger Yeah. But, you know, even, you know, back then it was still such a, uh, such a proto version of what it is now. And I I think you're certainly right. I think the fact that there's so many people, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, um, there's so many people where social media is the uh, large, if not the one of the most dominant aspects of our life, uh, you know, to, to be able to get to know, Anybody and everybody who has maybe similar experiences as yourself, and to be able to act, be in a real community with them uh, over the internet is really, really powerful. And as much as you know, they were try- they were able to do that in some way, shape, or form back in the early two thousands with the emergent movement. Again, I think the way in which the internet has become such a dominant fixture in our lives and especially social media has become a dominant fixture in our lives. you know the, it's, it was it's bound to happen that a community like that would emerge. And so, you know, I'm really proud that folks are are doing that. They're getting connected with the kind of people who they need to be um, to be able to process what they went through. Um, I I think that's absolutely helpful. Um, And then you get folks like who even go beyond that. Of it's not just a community, but we're going to actually use this as a way to share and tell the truth about what this. Uh, religious expression this Christian expression is and how toxic it is and you know someone like Blake Chastain, uh, you know being able to take what he's learned from his conversations with folks in the ex-evangelical world and to be able to now use that as uh, as a way to really critique um, evangelicalism to um, people who might be even unfamiliar um you know it's you know, his his story and other people's stories are getting broadcasted I think a couple years ago. It was on. Um, he was on CBS. Like CBS so like, News. Yeah, like, I mean like that is, is so groundbreaking and you wouldn't have seen that 25 years ago and I, a lot of it is due to the fact of how close this community has gotten and um, I, I think again this the the sheer intensity and the um, just the issue <laughs> that evangelical is right now. Um, how dominant it is in um American politics it really is important for folks who grew up in that world to be able that you know obviously on a different um think about it differently for them to be able to critique it and for their stories to be told is is really important i think
1: um i just wanted to jump in and say how you know when i hear that i understand it and i also feel unf- how unfortunate it is um where we can have these experiences and then really just shut ourselves down and cut ourselves off from even the thought of entertaining. Well, what is, what, what did Jesus actually, who was he really, you know? Cause he wasn't like this, this group of people, you mm-hmm. know? So um, that was my experience of, you know, growing up and just, doing church, uh, like living, uh, as a staff, uh, uh member on, ch- and in a church staff, um, seeing an authentic expression of Jesus, you know, and, and Christianity, because when I look at it, I see somebody who was stolen from their culture, you know, like stolen mm-hmm. out of Judaism, out of that culture.
2: Right.
1: How can we go back and, discover who that person was really. Um, And all the trauma is what, uh, it's just so sad, you know, just shutting people off from even thinking about it anymore.
2: Yeah, I I mean, this is where I, I think even if a person was really still committed to being a part of the evangelical world, you know, let's say some mega church pastor, it would be helpful for them, I think, to understand why is it that people leave us like, I think that's a helpful thing to consider. Like, that, that doesn't mean that you yourself need to leave or that you even have to agree with them. But to hear what they have to say, you know, it's sort of like an exit survey. Like, I think having an exit survey would be, you know, pretty helpful for, you know, most things. I, I don't know why for them it's not that helpful. Um, I, I get that, you know, they might, you know, in those sort of exit surveys, uh, if they really listen to the, the stories of, um, ex evangelicals, you know, it might be some scathing critiques against them, uh, in, in that, you know, they might not want to hear that, but I, I would think it would be just really helpful for them to understand, like, if, if there was somebody who is like the Jesus that I read in the Bible is different than the Jesus that um, gets preached. It's a different than the Jesus that these politicians claim to, to follow. Like, you think that there would be some sort of like, well, maybe we need to refigure that out. Like even within their own paradigm of evangelicalism, you'd think they would want to sort of start figuring that out. A lot of them just really refuse to do so. Um, And I, I think it's going to lead to their own demise at some point, at some point, I think.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't something that was, you know, uh, talked about as a, a, even a possibility or an idea uh, that people could leave their faith. I mean, when growing up like <laughs> that, like people who were former Christians, like I, I remember hearing from lots of people who were former Muslims or former atheists or and who have, you know, converted to Christianity. But like we never heard stories. And I didn't even really, I think, consciously realize there were people who left Christianity uh, until – I don't know until I was one of them I guess <laughs> you know like, right, yeah. like it was it it really was not something that I even believed was it was a thing um and I, I'm kind of curious to go back a little bit before we go on with some of like the more you know idea points of this and and hear a little bit more of your personal story I mean did you grow up in church or you you know church kid What's what's your journey look like kind of in a summary from you know kind of childhood to now in in terms of your relationship with religion, God, theology?
2: Yeah. I, I grew up in prototypical evangelicalism in, in South Dakota. So, you know, kind of the rural Midwest and, you know, a lot of the experiences that someone around my age would have had in evangelicalism, I, I had it, uh, you know, fully. Uh, I I really experienced uh, to me kind of the prototypical um, experience of evangelicalism in the early mid two thousands. Um So yeah, like I I grew up going to church. Um, The church I grew up in was technically United Methodist Church, which um, I I ended up learning later was actually, at least in the U.S., a more more or less fairly liberal denomination. Um, But my particular um, church was not at all. I mean, it was you know, it was only United Methodist and name only, uh, it more or less was like a non-denominational church or a Baptist church or something. It, it really functioned and looked exactly like that. It's theology, um, uh, really looked a lot like it. So yeah, that, I mean, that was the, you know, I grew up Listening to Veggie Tales, I knew every single Veggie Tales. And by the time that I was old enough to like get like, eh, you know, I'm too old for Veggie Tales, then I like was listening to like the Veggie Rocks. I don't know if you guys remember that, Veggie Rock C D. <laughs> it was like all these like contemporary uh Christian artists who basically covered Veggie Tales songs. So like Reliant K did the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything and <laughs> anyway. When I was probably like in second grade and I was too old to be listening to Veggie Tales, that's what I was listening to. That's awesome. No yeah. way. No, it's incredible. It's like, I should, I think they only made one of these, uh, like one volume of this, but I really wow. should send you it. It's incredible. Right, actually, I think of some of them are still on Spotify. It's um, going
0: in my Spotify queue for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's
2: it's pretty incredible. The yeah, the the Reliant K version of the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything it still slaps to this day. <laughs> who did the um, cheese? Who did the cheeseburger song? That's what I want to know. Oh, uh, who did the? It, it might have been like Audio Adrenaline, I think. <laughs> no, like and all the classics you can think of of Veggie songs, like there was at least one CCM artist that uh, covered it. It was pretty. It's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, like I grew up in that, you know, prototypical evangelical world. Um, I still remember when I was like 10 years old, I would come home from school. I lived just a block or so away from my school I would come home from school. And before my parents would get home from work, I would, uh, turn on the TV and it was like this channel it was like this Christian channel. And during the afternoon block, they would basically have like the Christian MTV. So it had like a top 10 music countdown and uh i think there was like a a show that was like for more heavier music alternative music and then there was like this kind of like extreme sports guy that was really like this evangelist going around the world doing extreme sports and evangelizing and stuff. so anyway like they had these kind of different shows uh and i would watch them when i was you know, 10 11 years old and that's where i discovered a lot of like this kind of alternative christian music like um, uh, me without you and uh, Norma Jean and you know some of these heavier bands from like Tooth and Nail Records and Solid State Records. So I, I really got into that world really, really deeply, and I still you know really am. I mean, I'm I literally have a podcast with HM Magazine that's covering a lot of these bands still. So um, I really love a lot of that music uh, and to this day. Uh, but that Dude, was around the time that I got into it was around that. So I mean, so I like grew up in that like prototypical, like I had my John Piper phase in high school where I was a total asshole and really like hated Joel Steen and everything. So like, <laughs> I mean, I just, I like you classic, you know, purity culture, all the things that you can think of. I was exactly that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, around, uh, when I was somewhere like sophomore, junior in high school, um, I started getting like some different questions or I, I started exploring different questions, um, that, uh, yeah, I, I just was really wrestling with, um, mainly, uh, like how Christianity ought to engage with culture and politics. I still was like very politically conservative, um, uh, even like libertarian. Uh, but even that was starting to change and, um, wasn't really sure what, where to go with these. You know, I, I literally grew up in an environment where the only Christians I knew were evangelicals. I had no idea that really for the most part, other than maybe Catholics and like A Lutheran here or there. I had no idea other Christians existed. Um, And then I went to this really conservative Christian college in Iowa, or at least what I thought was a really conservative Christian college in Iowa. Um, And I I was going to be a youth ministry major. I had all these grand plans. I was going to play football in college. And then after I graduate, I was going to go and uh, become like a missionary out on one of the reservations in South Dakota. So I had all these grand plans. So I became a youth ministry major in college. And I still remember my very first day in my youth ministry class, we were reading a book called Postmodern Youth Ministry by Tony Mm -hmm. Jones. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I've heard the word postmodern. I don't know what it means, but I know that I'm not supposed to like it. That was the extent. I'm like, why is it paired with youth ministry? Like, this doesn't make sense. But being like a good student, I was reading it. And quickly realized that this was a very different kind of Christianity that I had grown up with. And I started, um, yeah, I just really felt like a lot of the questions that Tony was raising in that book were the exact same kind of questions I had. Um, and so, yeah, like I, it just, from there, I, it really spiraled into, um, try to sort of like wrestling with what I had grown up with um, into a new faith that I was, uh, that felt more at home. Um, so yeah, I remember like reading Tony and thinking, wow, you know, at least there's one other Christian out there that has these questions. And so then I like Google searched him one time and saw that there were other people like named like Brian McLaren on the related Google search bar and Naughty Boltz Weber and Rachel Held Evans and a number of other folks. And uh, and so I just like dove Head first into that world, uh, started reading all of those people's books and started following them on Twitter and just getting really involved in that world. And so, um, yeah, and then you know things have really changed ever since then as well. You know, I got in touch with one of those um, authors. His name is Doug Paget, and uh, he was it was at the time uh, a pastor in Minneapolis at this really cool, interesting church. And so, yeah, I got in touch with him. And after getting to know him for a year, he asked me if I wanted to become the youth pastor at their church after I graduated. So I was like, sure, that sounds amazing. Wonderful. So moved to the Twin Cities after I graduated from college and uh, and then started seminary shortly thereafter and just graduated seminary like a month ago. Um, so yeah, and throughout that entire time, lots of things have changed. I've started podcasts. Uh, I've gotten really involved in uh, the theological world and uh, and yeah, like I, my own theology has changed quite a bit. so but yeah, I, I started out in that like prototypical conservative evangelicalism, uh, started having some questions when I was in high school and was immediately able to start um, not getting answers necessarily to those questions, but I was given freedom to explore a lot of those questions when I was in college. And from there on, uh, you know, I've just changed a lot theologically. And um, so yeah, that's kind of my story.
1: How has your how has your podcast um changed over the years? I I was looking back, I saw it used to be called uh Religionless Church.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And now a people's theology. So even that has evolved.
2: Yeah, I when I started uh what was religionless church, it, you know, it was really just this little like idea that I had at the time. I was really, really interested in exploring like what church could really look like. That's different than what we're going, like than what we're given that, you know, it's different than the progressive mainline tradition and, and is also different than the evangelical world. I was really interested in a re- what could church really be? What, how can we reimagine it? Um, and so, yeah, like I, at the time was really interested in that question and was asking different folks questions around that. Um, but what I really realized quickly within, certainly within the first year of doing the podcast was that the questions really started to revolve more around, um, like liberation theology and more like faith and justice stuff. And I realized well if that's where this podcast has really headed I probably need to rebrand it uh, and so that's why I rebranded it to a peoples theology I, th- I felt like that name and that brand um, more closely aligned with what that podcast had become and so and, and I feel much more comfortable it feels more expansive I, I feel like I can do more with it um, with that kind of brand so but yeah that, that was partly the reason for changing it is I just quickly realized that that uh, what my intentions for the podcast had really quickly changed with what the pod podcast had become. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of um, the story behind why that evolved and changed.
0: So I'm, I'm curious about like, you know, as you have gone through these different stages of, you know, evolution uh, in your understanding of, you know, church and God and, you know faith you know are were there were there stages where you felt like you maybe landed somewhere and then from that point i i'm always curious about like for me like i remember landing in you know when i read uh you know uh, what was what was claiborne's first book uh ordinary radicals or yes yeah, something like that, that. <laughs> something like that uh or radical revolution or <laughs> oh yeah yeah something revolution irresistible revolution yeah I, and I remember like reading that and then reading a bunch of Tony Campolo mm-hmm. and like feeling like, oh, I found it. Like, this is what it is, you know. And then a couple of years later, you know, getting into a place where I was like, oh, no, no, no this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And now I see people who are in more of a fluid state going like, I don't I don't know where I land exactly. But, you know, here, these are some cool places that you can land. Did you have that experience or what was that like?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think when I when I kind of made that first sort of deconstructive move, if you will, uh, where I started reading folks like Rachel Held Evans and Nadia Boltzweber and those kind of people, um, I, I think I did like end up landing in this space where I'm like, okay, this is really comfortable. And to a certain extent, like it really has. I mean, <laughs> a lot of those folks. Po- those folks have become really good friends. You know, I worked with Doug at Brian McLaren is a mentor of mine. Uh, I've, I've had a class with Nadia Boltz Weber and uh, Diana Butler Bass is a really good friend of mine. Like a lot of those people have become friends and colleagues and everything. So and more or less that has really become a home. But in terms of where I'm at theologically, a lot of it has changed where I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily where I am anymore. Um, and so, yeah, like that, that changed at one point where I really felt at home within that sort of emergent progressive Christian world. And again, I more or less am in that world Um but then, yeah, like theologically, a lot of things changed in that first like year or so of seminary. I really gotten in, into radical theology where what Mike is really interested in the death of God movement and that kind of stuff. Um, like Peter Rollins was a really big influence during that, that point in my life. Um, but then I've changed even more. I, at, you know, even around that time, I was kind of interested in process theology, but I really have gotten involved in the process theology world. And uh, at this point in time, that sort of feels like the home, but because things have changed so much over these last five, six, seven years, um, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, as much as it, a place might feel like a home, I always know I'm in a transience and I always know that I'm just only renting this home. Uh, uh, at this point, it's an expectation that I'll theologically shift and change, um, and, um, I, I'm curious where I'll be headed next. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, I, I, I mean, I think there's this expectation for myself that I will change. Um, but I also don't want to minimize where I'm at in any given moment.
0: Can you, uh, uh, give a brief, like, so pretend you're talking to a high school dropout who is indoctrinated mm-hmm. into a cult at 17. Um, <laughs> Could be not, anybody.
2: Not, 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 yeah, not speaking yeah. from personal experience or anything. Yeah, it
0: could be anybody, but, uh, you know, and, and kind of explain process theology and, like, how that differs from, you know, systematic theology or, you know, your former framework mm-hmm. for thinking about theology. Because that's a new concept for me as I've started, you know, dipping my toe into Trip Fuller and, you know, uh, some of these other folks who have been talking about it, but I still didn't understand it. Yeah. Give me a primer.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, not only is process theology the best theology that's ever existed, um, it's the way that I would uh, frame it or define it is two different ways. First, that the world and God are both open to all possibilities; all, all the whole entire future is open to lots of different possibilities. The second is that everything is relational. Uh, the the little atoms that make up every molecule in your body in the entire universe to some degree, they're in relationship with one another. They respond to one another. They change with one another. Um, and so what process theology says is that if the, the future is open, hasn't been determined, uh, all things are possible, and if everything is in relationship with one another, then that means that God is in relationship with every single thing and every single thing is in relationship with one another, And that the future is wide open even for God. Uh, God can change and uh, morph and evolve as the world changes into whatever possibility lies before us. Um, And so hopefully that's my little like, I know it's not, that wasn't, that was a little little longer than an elevator speech. But um, yeah, yeah, hopefully that like gives you a sense of, the way I think about it is those two different parts, open and relational. Everything is open for all things, uh, or uh, all you know, possibility is open, and then all things are in relationship with one another. Um, and the reason why I think it's really important to think about this and wh- why I'm really involved in that world is uh, I, I, if, if there is a God, I want that God to be highly relational, that God is so moved by um, when we're in a state of depression, When a child is killed in war, when a black man is killed by the police, that God actually is not just like, oh, shucks, but God is actually moved and changed by that in such a way that God wants justice in those moments or that God wants to comfort you in that depressive state. God actually gets changed. Um, I think that uh, that way of thinking about the relationship that God has with the world is extremely transformative for the world and for ourselves. Um, And to think that all things are open and possible, um, to know that uh, the way the world is right now doesn't mean that that's the way it will have to always be. Um, things, Things suck right now, especially right now. Things really suck. But with the world being open, with the future being open, that doesn't mean that what is said right now is what has to be said in the future. We get to write that narrative. We get to change that um, if we so want to. And I think to be able to think about God and and the world in those ways is really, really helpful for how we can um, uh, think about justice and liberation in the world.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I I vibe with all of that. Uh, and, and, and I think that is a helpful definition and a helpful way of summary, some summarizing, you know, what, what this kind of movement that you, you know, that I've heard talked about on your podcast and, and on other theology podcasts, as I've started to kind of, you know, uh, uh, inundate myself with, mm-hmm. uh, those ideas that I think are super interesting. I think on the other side of, you know, the, academic coin or the the i guess the the theology or the thought behind how we believe what does faith look like in practice for you in terms of like actually engaging in in community because that's the other side uh for me i i I found that in the the more academic theological community there's space for somebody like me who's not you know a a believer uh or, or someone who doesn't fit into christianity Uh, however, in functional community space, there's, it's very difficult. Like I've, Mm -hmm. I've been able to find some space, but, but I count myself pretty unique at being able to find a space of, of relational community, uh, as I process through those beliefs. So, What does it look like for you in terms Mm -hmm. of your church or, you know, faith practice?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so when I moved to the Twin Cities to work at Solomon's Porch as their their youth pastor, um, uh, a couple of years, or about a year ago now, maybe not quite a year ago, it was about six months ago, I formally like ended that part of my life where I was the youth pastor. So I, I did that for a few years after I moved to the Twin Cities. So no longer am a youth pastor anymore at Solomon's Porch, but I um, still am a, very much a part of Solomon's Porch. Um, I'm really fortunate, and I think this might be, kind of going back to our conversation about kind of evangelicals and all those folks. I, I think part of the reason why I still am very deeply involved in the, in the Christian world, uh, whereas lots of other ex-evangelicals are not, is because a couple of things. Uh, when I first started sort of deconstructing, my deconstruction went right into other Christians. Other Christians who are thinking about Christianity very differently than uh, a lot of evangelicals. So that that was part of the reason why I think I stayed within Christianity. The other thing is um, I found a community. I really did in Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was the exact kind of community, and to this day is the exact kind of community I would need to be in in order to be or to stay still stay within the Christian world. Um, and so I, I really. Love Solomon's Porch for that reason. And so, yeah, I guess like in terms of how that looks like in practice, you know, we do lots of different creative things. I think that's part of the reason I love Solomon's Porch. All of our music, all of our liturgy, all of those things um, we create on ourselves. We don't have some sort of lectionary that tells us what we can and cannot say that week. we don't have some sort of hymnal that uh, of songs that uh, have been written, and we're just essentially covering them. Uh, we write our own music, and we write our own things that we say in um, in our uh, gatherings, and so I, I think that I think that's really processy. You know, to really relate, uh, to really lean into creativity. As a as a core value of your church community is really important, and I think that really resonates a lot with process theology. Um, and then one of the other things that we do a lot, uh, and a lot of people would like to say that you know Solomon's porch isn't Christian. Uh, one of the things that we do all the time is pray. We pray a lot at Solomon's porch, uh, and I think one of the most processy things one can do in their own personal life is to pray. If you really believe that God actually is changed by what we have to say and do in the world, then prayer is a really important thing. It really actually matters that you pray and that you pray a lot. Uh, And so that's one of the things that we really do a lot. And I really love about Solomon's Porch. Um, And then, you know, all the other, you know, we do communion every week and I love the, uh, one one of the things that has kept me uh, being a Christian is I have a really good friend named Victor who goes to Solomon's Porch, He Victor survived gay conversion therapy back when he was in his thirties, um, survived the AIDS epidemic and everything. Um, and he has been kicked out of countless churches because he's gay. And um, one of the things I love about Victor is n- despite all of the reasons, all the really good reasons he should probably leave Christianity, he's decided Solomon's Porch is my community and those are my people. And every week for communion, um, I always go after I like take my bread and take my, my juice. uh, I go up to Victor and give him a big hug. Um, Obviously we haven't been able to do that for damn near the last year or so, but um, that's what we would do each and every week is I would give uh, Victor my weekly hug. Um, And I think that's one of the most processy kind of moments right there, right? Like to have this really deep relationality with someone Um, uh, when you're eating these products of fermentation, bread and wine and juice, uh, and, it, it, you know, so you're taking in the, those things and you know, the ways in which those elements interact with your body. And then I'm, I'm holding another person in my arms. I think all of that relationality there is highly processed. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of how I um, see process theology really get implemented and in my um, kind of daily or weekly practice, uh, especially when it comes to my church
1: awesome um one thing that you wrote about uh, on one of your articles was and you sort of brought it up here in terms of creativity was beauty as evangelism right and so mm-hmm. i am a i teach in the arts department at this christian high school so we're always talking about faith and art and beauty and what that looks like and we talk about um you know people who have come before like Madeline Langle and what she's had to say about faith and art. And, Mm -hmm. um, could you, could you talk about that just a little bit
2: more? Yeah. So one of the things that I really love about process theology is that beauty or aesthetics, if you will, it, it's actually like a kind of eternal value. Um, uh, it's not just that, uh, you know, we should make beautiful things or that we should value those things, but that it actually really matters to God and to the world that we, um, that we seek out that which is beautiful. Um, and so I, um, I'm a person that just is really inspired by art and beauty and aesthetics. And so because of that, I really hold a high value to it. And I think it matters to our faith I think it matters to God. I think it matters to the world. And so, yeah, I, I think, um, I, I don't know exactly what I said in that article. Um, uh, I, I don't remember most of the things I wrote in seminary. Uh, this is you write them down. You're <laughs> constantly bombarded with more and more papers that you just, Oh, like there's been times where people like will quote me and I'm like, uh, that sounds like something I probably would say. And they're like, well, that's because you did. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know if i if I want i I wouldn't mind using the term that I'm a beauty evangelist. I think that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, I really am inspired by that which is beautiful, and I think it really matters to um to pursue the beautiful. Um, I think it matters to God and it matters to to the
0: world. I love that. I'm curious about like, you know, what, what are the things, you know, as you know, people who, you know, because there's kind of a cross section of, of people who I think are listening to this and we'd like to, you know, keep, you know, a, a, a nice cross section of people who are listening to this podcast. Um, but I definitely know that some people who are listening are trying to work within the context of some type of spiritual community or faith community. Uh, you know, this is definitely not a podcast that's predominantly, you know, I have some people who listen who never, who've never been part of a faith community at all mm-hmm. and are just wildly curious about how crazy we are. Um, which is, which is another audience, but, you know, for those who want to create, that space like what you're talking about that you have there in you know minneapolis what what are the what are the maybe one or two things that you think really define you as different than these churches or faith communities that people are leaving you know what what are the 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 kind of primary things where you say like i would leave you know I mean, I hate to do it, but fuck it, I don't care. I would leave, you know, Elevation Church in, in, in the Carolinas, or I would leave, you know. Which you probably uh, should do. Yeah, yeah, which you should do. Uh, you know, it, I only pick on Elevation Church because I used to worship Stephen Furtick uh, in, <laughs> in a previous life, which I'm ashamed of.
2: To me, he, like, is such a California person that it's weird to think that he's in North Carolina. I, Dude, it's, my yeah, brain I, can compute the fact that he is, like, a Tar Heel.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He's such a Cali guy. Is he not? It's the frosted tips and all, but, but so, so, so what were the, what would be the, you know, maybe the one or two things that you say, like, this is, these are the important things to define yourself as different as a faith community from these churches that are constantly being, you know, brought up as toxic or, or possibly harmful.
2: Yeah. I, I think first and foremost, uh, you, you need to, um, look for a church that um is not just in word but really in its practice um constantly centered on uh the poor and oppressed uh, the people who are powerless in our society um the way that 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 not only do they speak about those folks but also the kind of things that they do with those folks um for their justice and liberation it really i think uh is the Biggest thing that matters. And so, uh, you know, what that all looks like in every specific context is probably going to be a little different. But um, I, I would really encourage someone to really seek out a community that really is concerned um, primarily by the way in which uh, it's um, helping its um, uh, powerless uh, uh, community members. And the poor and oppressed. Uh, and then I think the other thing that really seems to matter, not only just seems, it really does matter to a lot of people is go to a church where you are fully accepted as who you are. Um, you know, if, if you're an LGBTQ person, I I would encourage you, I don't want to prescribe this to anyone, but like if you're an LGBTQ person, uh, be a part of a church or a community that really embraces who you are. Um, And I I just can't more highly encourage that. Um, But even beyond that, you know, like uh, one of the things I love about Solomon's Porch is, like I said, we center creativity. And so because of that, we really have a lot of artists. And if a lot of artists, really probably at a lot of churches, feel really helpless to offer what they have the gift that they can offer the world. They, they can't offer into a church because a church has already determined what kind of artwork is going to be on its walls and what sort of songs are going to be sung and what sort of poems are going to be read. All of that's been predetermined. So there's really not much capacity for creativity for an artist in a community, but finding a community that gives you space to be able to be that. Please, I encourage you to find those kind of communities that allow you to to offer the kind of gifts that you want to offer to a community. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, th- those are the sort of things that I, I would really encourage. Um, the first and foremost to encourage a, a person to find the communities that care for the oppressed and marginalized, and to find a community that really truly embraces who you are. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts.
0: Yeah. I. I think that that's something that I really want to highlight uh, it, it, from, you know, Josh and I, you know, in, in starting this podcast and, and our friendship that goes back, you know, over a decade, you know, we've journeyed in different areas, we've landed in different places, uh, and but we've still been able to share space. Uh, and, you know, share relationship with other people, even being in different places, whether it's theologically or philosophically. And I think that, you know, if I could, you know, kind of on the top end of what you were saying for the people who are in institutional, you know, religion or, you know, faith communities in some way, you know, it was mind blowing to me. One of my most dear friends, who's a pastor of a, uh, or is a pastor on staff at a, a at a church that is very traditional, uh, and non-affirming, he will regularly, if an LGBTQ person comes to his church say, Hey, this is not, this is not a safe place for you. Here's three other pastors I know who are affirming, who will give you a space to be, uh, even if you don't hold that perspective, at least having the openness to say but there are communities where you can be that way um or or who will embrace you for that or who share that having the openness to say like even if this is where this isn't where i land right now um and i and i only say that because i think people who are who are at different stages of deconstruction or at different stages especially from a menis- like a, a full time ministry vocational ministry perspective um those changes don't happen overnight right mm-hmm. like even if a pastor becomes Affirming or decides to change theology in some way, you you can't turn a congregation in one Wednesday night service, mm-hmm. you know. And go, hey, we believe differently about the Trinity now. Uh, see you Sunday. Like you you th- those things don't happen. So having an openness to say, hey, there are other communities that have different perspectives, and that's okay. Those those churches aren't the enemy because I grew up in a church culture that said the church that believes differently than us is against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, and a helpful perspective absolutely it's, it's it is it is mind-blowing to me that when I discovered that it's okay to go hey I don't think this way but this person thinks this way you should meet them and talk with them um, because we're all we're all evolving and we're all changing um, so we are probably rounding about time uh, these podcasts episode one to two to three to four to five has all gotten longer and longer <laughs> Which, tell me from a podcast perspective, is that, is that something that happens? Do you have to be intentional about like stopping? Um, sometimes. I mean, sometimes I do. there's Sometimes there's people, maybe you haven't encountered this yet, but... We just have a high caliber guest. Yeah. You know. Like sometimes
2: we'll have somebody that gives like a one minute response to every one of your questions and you just like do not have any more questions. And <laughs> you realize like you're only like 20 minutes in. <laughs> um. So you get some, and then you get people like me who will belabor a point forever. And before you know it, you've only asked two questions and you're an hour in. Uh, I love it. So you get that too. Um, But yeah, there are certainly people that I've had uh, that just do not stop talking. And then there's some people where it's like, can you say more, please? Because this is going to be a five minute podcast episode and everybody's going to think this is like some sort of NPR daily news podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: If only I could I would probably we'd probably have more listeners if we could do this as like a twenty minute uh, podcast. Uh, the YouTube uh, generation, you know, they're like an hour. That's a big commitment. <laughs> Listen at it two and a half speed. you're fine. Uh, so. Uh, in wrapping up, I w- can you share a little bit of how people can connect with you? We've we've talked about the Twitter, but you can hit it again. But like other ways that people could engage, I know you have a Patreon. I know you're doing other creative things where people could engage with you and support what you're doing. Give you know, give all the spaces where people can connect with you and and, and be what, able to yeah.
1: And what you're working on now post seminary, yeah yeah.
2: Yeah. Lots of things I'm up to right now. Uh, you can find me on my website, masonmeninga.com. Um, from there you can find kind of anything. Uh, but I would say maybe the couple things to highlight is again, my podcast, The People's Theology really put a lot of time and energy into it. Uh, and so if you could take a listen to that and if you like it, would love for you to give me a little rating and review. It's really wonderful. Uh, really helpful as I'm sure you all
0: know. Um, and then, yeah, it. Mason, hold on one second. I want to tell people you you not only do theology, but you do music guests like every every week that I've listened to. Yeah, yeah,
2: I, yeah, in that uh, I'll do kind of like up and coming artists. Um, uh, well, I guess this last episode I had with Brian McLaren, I had the Oh Hellos, but that was because I ripped my interview from Black Sheep onto that one. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I normally have like kind of up and coming artists. And so if you yourself are a musician or in, in a band and you'd like your music to be featured, I would... Gladly love to consider it. So I
0: loved, I just loved that. I just wanted to say, I love that you do, it's a little bit of like, Two different things, which I love. Yeah, a different music
2: every now and then. Uh, and then what else? Uh, obviously, follow me on Twitter. Uh, love to be able to interact with you. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's just my my name, uh, Mesa Menega, all one word, all lowercase. And you can do the same on Instagram, same handle. Uh, and so yeah, those. And then you mentioned I do have a Patreon. If you're interested in supporting me financially, um, I've got some different uh, tiers and rewards for that. Uh, and uh, lastly. I am probably by the time that this comes out, it will have been launched, but I am starting a kind of a YouTube. I've had YouTube for a little while um, and have posted like various, very infrequently, some videos. Um, but I recently got a nice camera and have been trying to transform my little studio into a little uh, kind of filmmaking studio. So I've got lots of different videos that I hope to put out here soon. Um, I've already recorded it and edited two. So one will be coming out soon, and uh, well, both of them will in, be coming out soon. So uh, I'm putting a lot of time and energy into them. So I really hope with how well produced they'll be that uh, people actually really listen to them and really like them. So So yeah, check out my YouTube. Just search my name or you'll you'll be able to find me somewhere.
0: Yeah, you're you're with your name, you're extremely Googleable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm not John Smith or someone. (laughs) <laughs> i always tell people it's like a blessing and a curse i'm extremely googleable i can't be like oh that was the other Cortland coffee that got and yeah. naked down. Yeah. there <laughs>
2: is one other mason miniga in the world uh and funny i'm sure we're related somehow uh you know it's not like there's a ton of minigas out there but there is one other mason miniga in the world and interestingly enough when i first moved to minneapolis there was a guy from solomon's porch at my church who was like when i like when you came i was like the the Mason Minniga I know. And he like, must've known this guy named Mason Minniga who was like in sort of like multi-player uh, gaming stuff. And okay. and then like a year later, I met this one woman associated with in the church world. And she was like, when I like saw your name, I was like, not that Mason Minniga. he like, he's not in that world. And sure enough, I was not that Mason Miniga, but she knew this yeah. Mason Miniga, the same guy from like, her college and then like a week later a guy came up to me this older guy and somehow he knew that other mason menega too so like there is one (laughs) other mason menega out there and we do have people that we that know each other or know both of us so
0: that's that's incredible that's so cool i'm still waiting (laughs) to meet my other courtland coffee but if you're out there Hit me up. I want someone to blame my bad behavior I on. I did.
2: I did try to add him on Facebook like seven years ago, and he still has not accepted my friend <laughs> request. So, <laughs> kind of an asshole that Mesa Menega. I so, think I'm an asshole. I'm not even the worst Mason Menega.
0: Not <laughs> even the worst. I love it. I love it. Josh, do you have anything else in closing before we we wrap up the interview? No, nah, we're good. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Mason, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's so good to to talk to you.
2: Yeah, thank
0: you, Josh. It's been great to chat with you all. And we're back. We're back. What an interview. What a cool episode. That was dope. It was good. Every, every one of these is so good. We have a really high caliber, you know, guest. We have high, we have high caliber guests so far. Um, I'm amazed. That people are like, yeah, I'll do I'll do your podcast. Um, just such such cool quality interviews and 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 stories and input from people. Uh, you know, we've been talking. You know, we we always record these these outros a lot of times. We record these outros right after we record the episodes. Um, once our guests are gone, and so that we can just talk about things. Uh, but man, I'm just talked out, Josh. You're taking over.
1: Yeah. What's great about having guests like Mason on here is it's, we're hearing from somebody who is, um, still involved right in, in the Christian world. He's going to church. Uh, it's an emergent church. It's different. You know, it's different. He found a community we talked about finding community, but it's also an, I hope that it's an encouragement for anybody who is deconstructing their thoughts, uh, and their, theology and their religion, that, you know, there's still places for you, you know, and there's still places that you can go, um, people that you can talk to. You don't have to be alone. Um, you don't even have to throw everything out. You can evolve. You, you are allowed to evolve and to change, um, which is something that's freeing, which is, something that is not a, you know, what we are usually experience when we have changing thoughts and ideas is that what you've talked about before, Cortland, is just the fear, you know? Yeah. The fear of, like what you said uh, in the first episode, you know, aren't you afraid I'm going to hell? Aren't you afraid for my soul, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, no, uh, we don't have to fear. We can we can be alive and engage and now it's good
0: i've realized you know and and mason touched on this in the episode i mean you know part part of it is is dealing with trauma right i have trauma associated with my you know with past faith communities and experiences in you know church uh, and you know for some people that trauma is significant and keeps them from you know any type of of interact in you know that type of community and they've got to find something different and that's fine too uh but i've i've noticed for me like like people are more accepting once you get past so much of the so much of the non-accepting part of of me was me you know, like I didn't accept me. Mm. Um, and so I was constantly then discrediting myself to other people. And since I've kind of gained more confidence about myself and my thoughts, and also just like a realization that I'm probably totally wrong about a lot of things. Uh, you know, the ability to engage in community without fear has, has increased, you know, I've, 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 gained this ability to be involved in in faith communities and spiritual communities. And, you know, I, I actually am probably more actively involved in a faith-based community now as an atheist than I ever was uh, as a Christian. And I think that's something I said in the last episode. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, it is, there is an ability to continue to have relationship. Uh, not mm-hmm. always. But there is, there is at times, and there are spaces. You know, there are a lot of spaces that uh, are out there that create a place for people to be, however they are. And and so don't don't give up. You know, um, if you don't want to, right? Mm-hmm. If if you want to give up, give up. You know, like that's 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 <laughs> acceptable as well. I want to I want to preface with that. But also, if you're longing, you're like, oh man, I would just wish there was a church community that fit you know, where I'm at, there probably is, you know, and I bet you, you can find it. And we, we'd love to help connect people. And there's a lot of other resources out there, Phil Drysdale. And, you know, a lot of these other guys who have created networks of people, um, who are in similar spaces that are good resources as well. Right on, man. But yeah, it was, it was cool. I I really enjoyed listening to Mason and, and what he had to say, uh, and where he is, you know, coming from. It's, it's nice to to hear different perspectives, and also he's just fucking smart. <laughs> so smart, so smart, and has a great taste in music. And with that,
1: we didn't we didn't actually talk about the we didn't ever talk about hardcore music. The now. Hardcore, no,
0: we didn't. No, we'll have to have. Him back. I did
1: check out his article though the on the Chariot, which was dope.
0: Theology, of the Chariot. Yeah, I read that last week. very cool it made me it put me on a a a chariot bench for a few days (laughs) crystal's like turn that shit off (laughs) my impersonation
1: of josh Goggins. i just remember you like walking around (laughs) i remember you walking around when i first met you i think you were 17 and it was like at this like weird yard sale that we were doing selling all our shit to because we were moving into a cult together yeah but uh (laughs) you were just there i think you were making snow cones or something and uh you were just like (laughs) and you were just
0: like going
1: yeah
0: I was like 16, and you assholes were making Southern Comfort snow cones. I remember that, <laughs> oh. and I was like, "Oh, I want one of those!" And you were like, "Nope, you can't have one." <laughs> Still a little angry about it. Yeah, a little, little salty, right there, man. Yeah, yeah, the the classic truck ski, trick, trick, ski, ski. <laughs> love it that was that was my shit um yeah it's it's been a lot of fun we will just mention and wrap up uh we would love if you would uh if you like this podcast uh follow us on instagram uh that's really where we post we've got a tiktok we've got a twitter i think we got seven followers on twitter now uh you know we're gonna get um mason to help us with our twitter (laughs) or somebody who knows how to use twitter uh because i'm terrible at it um maybe i should just give it to you josh do you want to run our twitter oh i'm a visual person i think oh, instagram okay. is the place for visual people and twitter
1: is the place for people who like to write who little funny. witty things
0: <laughs> twitter is for funny people uh so yeah so we've got all those other places but Instagram's. The real real place to find us uh in our links in uh our bio in the instagram there's a place where you can leave a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you and hear your story uh what have you thought of the podcast uh what uh have you been through how do you relate uh, we just we just like to hear from you. If you have a question, something you'd like to hear us talk about, somebody you'd like to hear us talk to, send us a DM uh, or leave us a voicemail. Uh, as always, you know, if you rate and review us, uh, we've got no new ratings and reviews since the last podcast. Oh, get out there. You got to get those stars come going. Come on, guys. Come on. We're sad. And uh, we'd love if you'd rate and review the podcast. And subscribe, of course, on... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Podcatcher, uh, Stitcher. Stitcher. Yep, yep. We're in all the places. Uh, so, thank you guys for listening so far. We're really excited. We're going to do something big for episode ten. Ooh. It'll probably just be the same as this, but but we'll we'll make it we'll make a big deal of it. Such a biblical number. Coming into double digits. So uh, that is it for us. Uh, thank you for being here, and as always. You guys stay safe out there in the thereafter.